0: Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Yeah? Awesome. Well, it is good to be with you here this morning. I'm so excited to be here. I hope you are the same. Everybody have a good Christmas. Yeah, I hope you've had a good new year. You guys sound a whole lot better than you sounded last week for Matt. (laughs) There's only three of you who had set goals. There's only three of you who had set some New Year's resolutions. So I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited that you've got some energy and that you're willing to talk with me a little bit. I am so thrilled for all of us to be here in one room. Was that not awesome? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Man, I, I love it. It's like a family reunion where we have to pretend like we like each other. Right? Yeah. Well man, it is good to be with you this this morning. I'm excited to get to announce to you as we're gonna start a new series, a new spring semester, and a new series in the book of Nehemiah. That's where we're gonna be for the next fourteen weeks. But it's called all in. All in. We're gonna be building our future together. There's two key words there: our and future. It's not my future. It's not the church's future, it's our future, and we're going to build it together as we take ownership of what God is calling us as First Baptist Belton to be as we move forward into the future. I believe with all my heart that God wants us to be all in, and so you may be asking yourself a really good question, and that is, well, what does it mean to be all in? Anybody asking that? What does it mean to be all in? Well, here's what it means. We're going to be all in with God. We're going to be all-in with one another, and we're going to be all-in for this community, and we're going to be all-in for the world. I believe that when we start talking about what God's calling is on our lives, I believe it's those four things, that we've got to be all-in with Him. We've got to be all-in for one another, with one another, arm-in-arm, joining each other as we move forward together. We've got to be all in for this community, and then we've got to be all in for the world. Okay? So with all that being said, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. I want you to know as we get going on my very first Sunday, I want you to know that everything we do is going to come from this book right here. Amen. Amen. Yeah, this is our source of life. It's our source, it's our guide for all that there is on this earth. It's our uh, roadmap, so to speak, to that life that Jesus says is abundant, all right? It's our only source of truth in life, and so we are going to set our hearts and minds, we're going to root our minds in the word. Now, a little context as we get going here. So the book of Nehemiah is situated in 445 B.C., right? The city of Jerusalem has been devastated by the Babylonian army. The temple of God was destroyed. City walls lay in ruins, and the people of God are living in exile dispersed all throughout the land. It's probably safe to say that the people of Israel, the future did not look too good for them, right? But God... One of the best phrases in all of the Bible, but God, right? God, he sees his people, right? He hears their cry, and he raises up this ordinary guy named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, he's living in Persia. He's serving as the cupbearer to the king in Persia, right? And he gets this calling, and it's a unique calling. God's calling him to come back to Jerusalem, where he has this extraordinary task of bringing the people of Israel all back together in simple words, His task is to call the people of Israel to be all in. And so that's what he does, right? We're going to learn that over the next 14 weeks. We're going to talk about how do we be all in? How do we follow this kind of path that Nehemiah gives us to be all in? So God, he sees his people. He brings them together through the leadership of Nehemiah. And so that's where we begin in chapter 1, verse 1. And so I want you to read there with me. Chapter 1, verse 1. The text says... That the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped. He's talking about the exile. Who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And here's what they said. Verse 3. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah, he gets wind of all that's going on in Jerusalem. He's got a buddy named Hanaya who comes in and he's got a group of a remnant of people who comes in, shows up, um, and, and they begin to tell the news that the walls are down in Jerusalem, that the people are living in shame and they're vulnerable to their enemies. And my contention this morning is that while that is an incredibly important and significant issue in the life of Jerusalem, what is a far bigger issue, a far greater problem, is not that the walls were down. See, the walls being down are actually a symptom of a far greater problem, a far deeper problem for the people of Israel, and that is that they had failed to be all in. The people of Israel had failed to be all in, and that's point number one. You really see this in verse six. Nehemiah, he sheds light on this reality. He goes before the Lord, and, and he begins to lead the people through prayer, and I want you to see what he says in verse six. Look with me at the text. He goes to the Lord, he's in prayer. He confesses the sins of the people of Israel, and then he says, which we have sinned against you, God. He says, even I in my father's house have sinned in verse 7, he says, we have acted very corruptly against you and we have not kept your commandments, the statutes and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. So in other words, the real problem for Israel was not that their walls were down. The real problem for Israel is that they had become content living apart from God and his will for their life. See, the walls being down, living in exile was a symptom of the reality that they had become content living apart from God. They had abandoned God and his word. They had done exactly what the prophet Jeremiah had feared that they would do. They forgot God. And because they had forgotten God, they raised up generation and generation of people who also had forgotten God, who had began to be content with living apart from him as well. So the first thing that you see is that Nehemiah, he realizes that the people had failed to be all in, but number two, I want you to see this is really important, their circumstances were a collective issue. So the circumstances, the ruins that they're living in was not just an individual problem, it was a collective problem in Nehemiah's confession, he uses the word we twice. Did you catch that in verse 6? He says, our sin. He uses the word we. He says, he's confessing the sins for the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, God. He even says, I and my father's house have sinned. Right? Nehemiah is not even in Jerusalem. He's, He's over in Persia, and he even says, even my house, my father and I's house, our sin. He begins to confess their sin He says in verse 7 that we have acted corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments. What Nehemiah is helping us see is that the circumstances that Jerusalem, the circumstances that the people of God find themselves in, are not a you problem, they're not a me problem, they're a we problem it's a we problem. It's a collective issue. See, all the way back into Exodus, God says, hey, this is my prerogative. This is what I want you to do. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And then in Deuteronomy, he says, hey, listen, all of this is boiled down into one thing. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then I want you to raise up generations to do the same. And what you're seeing here is that they had failed to do the one job that they had. Israel had failed to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind, with all their strength. And they had failed to raise up generation after generation after generation. And so their circumstances are not a you issue. They're not a me issue. They are a we issue. It was a collective problem that Israel is now facing. Now in verse 4, you, you get a window into the heart of Nehemiah. In verse 4, he you kind of get a glimpse of exactly how he felt during this time. The text says, as soon as he heard that these words, he sat down and he wept and he mourned for days. The text says, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah recognized that this was a spiritual problem. It was a problem that was outside of his control. That it didn't, know, it didn't matter how good of a leader he was didn't matter what kind of a strategic plan that he had. At the end of the day, it was out of his control. And so what does Nehemiah do? He hits his knees. He begins fasting and praying and asking the Lord for direction. And then guess what happens? Well, God shows up. He gives him exactly what he asks for. And point number three is that God grants Nehemiah a path forward. In verse 8, Nehemiah he's reminded of God's promise to his people and he begins to quote Leviticus 26. How many can quote from Leviticus? <laughs> now how many of you guys are going to skip Leviticus in your annual reading plan? <laughs> well, Nehemiah didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. As a matter of fact, he memorized. He had memorized. The only way you can quote it back to God is if you have if you know it in your heart so from Leviticus 26, verse 33, he begins to quote God's word back to him. You can see it in verse 8. might says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you were unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and you keep my commandments and you do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. So Nehemiah says, okay, God, you were faithful. Everything that you said would happen has now happened. We were unfaithful to you. You have scattered us all over the land. And then Nehemiah comes to the Lord and he says, but God, don't forget the rest of that promise. Your word says that if we confess, if we repent and we come back to you, what does the text say? That you will bring us all back together. You will make us all in once again. So the people had to recognize that they were content with living apart from God. They had to repent and return to Him. And knowing that the promise was that if we do that, God would bring us together. You know, I think oftentimes it's easy to read the story of Nehemiah and think, goodness gracious, they're in trouble. Walls down, living vulnerable to their enemies, to the nations surrounding them, man, they're in trouble. But please don't miss the greater problem that they were facing. It was a spiritual problem. It was a problem that they had failed to be all in. They had failed to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all of their strength, and to raise up generations to do the same. And listen, I can't help but think. I can't help but consider, what are some of the ways that we have done that? What are some of the ways that the people of God, Christians, what are some of the ways that we've done that? as I think about the reality that, and the day in which we live, the Bible, bu- the Bible belt that we once cherished, you know, most statistics, most research says that the Bible belt no longer exists. The belt, the, the, the buckle that once held, held the belt together is, is busted and it's no longer there. And I can't help but think, man, is that because that we have, we failed to be all in? Is that because we have failed to raise up generation after generation after generation to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or have we too begin to be content with living apart from God and His will? Well, most statistics says that that's probably true. As a matter of fact, I don't know that you know this or not, but 50% of all Christian men and 20% of all Christian women are addicted to pornography you know that? Furthermore, 56 percent of all divorces, at least one party is addicted to pornography. I think our walls are down. When looking at divorce, the rate of divorce among Christians is 51 percent, and it's no different than the secular world. Most mental health institutes say that over 7 million American Christians deal with depression and anxiety. Get this, 35,000 suicides are reported every year. In America, every 15 minutes, someone takes their own life. Sadly, statistics are no different inside the church than they are outside of the church. Statistics reveal that most devoted Christians only attend church 50% of the time. Is that a problem? It's a problem, we're gonna talk about that, i to talk, talk about why in just a minute. Statistics also tell us that only 30% of active church members support the needs and the mission of the church financially. 30%. Now if you realize this or not, but seven in 10 women who have had an abortion identify as a Christian. Seven and ten. Listen, we could go statistic after statistic after statistic after st- statistic, but the reality is, our walls are down. The walls in our community are down, and I'm just going to be real with you. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it, and I want to know what is God calling us to do to see these tra- these statistics transformed. What's going to be our role in calling us to be all in, to be one, to be all in with God, to be all in with one another, to be all in for the community and all in for the world? I tell you what, I'm hungry f- to see transformation. And the good news here's the good news. These statistics, they're grim, they are. But the flip side of all of that, the flip side of all of that is this body of research all says that for those who are committed and active in the church, the lower the statistics are. So the more committed, the more active one is in the church, the lower those statistics are. So in other words, the answer to this ever-growing problem is, guess what? To be all in, It's to be all in. That's why it's so important for us to be all in today, to start our future off right, is to be all in. And so here's what I want to do. I want to talk about how can we do that? What does it look like for you and me to start off right, to start off being all in? Well, there's three things. Here's the first one, if you're taking notes. We need to start with recognition. We need to recognize... We need to take a long look at our lives. We need to recognize where are the areas of our lives that we have been content living apart from God and His will. What are the areas of your life where you have failed to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength? What are the areas where you have failed to raise up the next generation to do the same? And remember, this is not a you problem. It's not a me problem. It's not a we It's a we problem. And so what has our church done to do that? Have we failed to be all in? Have we failed to raise up generation after generation after generation to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? We need to recognize where we have contributed the problem. And then number two, we need to take ownership. We need to be a people who take ownership. You know, like Le- Nehemiah, we, we all need to take ownership of our own spiritual lives. But get this, we need to take ownership of each other's spiritual lives. That's why this is a church family. Right? For us to look each other in the eye and say, hey, I'm going to take ownership of your life. We need to take ownership of the spiritual health of our community. We need to take ownership of the spiritual life of the world. And one of the worst things that we can do is think, oh, well, that's a them problem. Or that's a problem out there. Maybe even some of us in the room are going, hey, well, man, I, I listen to the statistics, I listen to the points, and, and I, don't, I don't struggle with any of those problems. And you know what? Praise God for that. That's amazing that you don't, but if statistics are, are right, and if they're accurate at all, then at least one person on your pew this morning is struggling with one of those things, maybe several of those things. And so it's time for us to look each other eye and take ownership for each other, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted us all in the room. I don't think it's helpful for us to point fingers, well, it's the young generation or that's the old generation or that's this, that's that, that's this. No, no, no. I want us to all take, a, take ownership of each other. I want us to look at each other in the eye and say, hey, you know what? I am for you. I am with you. Your kids are my kids. I'm taking ownership of those kids. And so all of a sudden, we begin to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take ownership for you. I'm taking 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 ownership for you. you. I want to see your family grow up in the knowledge and the love of the Lord. And I want to see us raise up the next generation to come to know Jesus and to transform their communities in which God calls them. But it starts with us taking ownership of our community of faith. What good are we if we leave this building and we go into the community and we look no different than the community? What kind of hope do we have to offer our community and offer the world if we're not all in with God and all in with one another? Here's a teaser. We don't have anything to share. We have nothing to offer. So number one, we need to, we need to recognize Number two, we need to take ownership. And then number three, we need to take action. We need to take action. See, Nehemiah, he recognizes the situation that the folks in in Jerusalem are facing. He leads them to confess. He leads them to repent. But then he leads them to restoration. We must be People who are living open and available to God's calling on our lives. We must be a people of prayer who are walking with God. Let me ask you, are you walking with God? Are you a friend of God? What's your prayer life like? We're only as strong as our weakest link. So if we're going to take ownership of one another, if we're going to take ownership of the spiritual health of this faith community, then what is your prayer life like? I need you to be praying. I need to be actively involved in this church. 50% doesn't cut it. We gotta take ownership. We gotta take action. A good place to start is to ask this question. How is God calling me to be all in? What needs to be cut out of my life? What needs to be added into my life? How can I be all in? And the next thing is, as a church, we need to ask the question, God, what are you doing to call us to be all in? What do we as a church need to let go of? What do we need to add? What is it that we need to do to reach the the next generation to see that we do not become a statistic? Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm ready. I'm so ready to be all in. I'm ready for us to enter into the fight. I am tired of Satan winning the battle. Listen, y'all, we fight with the winning scorecard. And yet, for many of us, we're content living sitting on the bench. It's time to get in the game. It's time to fight in the battle. Understanding that the victory's already won. How great is that? How much confidence should you and I have as we head out into the marketplace, as we head into our workplaces, into our schools? knowing that we have already won the battle because Christ won the battle on our behalf. And so let's be all in. Let's be all in. What I wanna do now is I wanna take a few moments and I want us to just consider what the Lord would have for us. And so here in the next few minutes, I'm gonna ask us everybody, I want you to bow your head, I want you to close your eyes And I want us to take a few moments as we just sit down and we just ask, okay, God, what is it that you would have for us? I'm gonna consider, God, what what do you wanna do in our lives? How do you wanna call us to be all in? Individually, collectively, what is it that I need to do? What do I need to sacrifice? What do I need to add into my life to be all in? So in the quiet of this moment, here's what I want you to do. I wanna lead us in a time of pastoral prayer, and I want you to ask this question. God, what do I need to do to be all in? Reveal to me, God, where are some areas of my life where I have failed to be all in, where I have failed to love you, where I have failed to raise up the next generation? What do I need to sacrifice? Ask him. Now I want you to ask this question okay, God, as a church, what do we collectively, what is it that we collectively as a church, what do we need to do to be all in, all in with you, all in with each other, all in for the community, all in for the world? What is it that we need to do as a church as we move forward? What do we need to do, God? What are you calling us to do? All right, well, as I close us in prayer, I'm going to invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are faithful to us. Father, that you're good and you're gracious. And Father, you know exactly where we are. And Father, I'm so grateful that you have called us to be all in. You're calling us to be all in with you all in with one another, all in for this community, all in for the world. And Lord, I'm just asking you, God, what is it that we need to do? What do we need to do to see that come to fruition? God, what needs to change in our hearts? What needs to change in our minds to see, God, that we would be all in? as a church, what do we need to sacrifice? What do we need to add in? Father, we're listening We're ready. We're excited. And so, Father, I pray that you would just give us a path forward. Give us direction. Father, I know that you will. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know all of the details, but, Father, I know that you do. And I just pray, Father, that you would set our eyes and our minds on your path, on your will for our church. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.